You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to Philippians 4, and I won't have you stand. We're going to get to it in just a, a minute. But first, first, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 4. And for those of you that were here last week, then you'll know uh, in some ways then I, I, I kind of uh, stopped the message halfway through. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm confusing people. Don't stand just yet. We'll get to it in a minute. Um, and so 1 Timothy 6 is where I'm going to read a few verses out of that. Then we'll get to Philippians 4. And uh, last week we started a message um, uh, called God is More Than Enough. And uh, that's the idea is still the same this week because I didn't really finish last week. I'd like to finish some thoughts that I started on the idea of contentment. And we've been in this series on Wednesday nights dealing with anxiety and fear and troubling thoughts and worry and why we have those things. And, and I think we'd be surprised how much a study on biblical contentment could take care of all of those things. If we would just decide that we will, on a biblical way, in a biblical way, choose to be content. Uh, so many of our problems begin, as we've studied in this series, they begin with unbelief. That God reveals something about himself um, that we reject. And so there's this gap between who God really is and what we've chosen to believe. And we fill that gap in with our own ideas. And, and it's full of uncertainties. It's full of what-ifs. It's full of if-onlys. It's full of I don't likes. We have these ideas uh, um, of what we think God should be like when he's not like that. And he's, he's revealed to, uh, to us uh, who he is and what he's like, but we choose not to believe it. And unbelief is the root of most of those issues. Unbelief is when we say God is not enough, God has not done enough for me, and God, him, God is, and I need something more. That's unbelief, that we think that we don't have what we need in God and we need something more than God. Discontentment then is a result of that. It's a lust for more and it becomes the basis for the temptations in our life. We think, well, I need something more. And then we look at something and we think, well, I want that. And we start to lust after that and we become discontent because uh, we are looking at things we don't have, thinking if we had them, they would give us contentment. Well, so how do we combat those, those thoughts? How do we fight against those? Well, we fight against those thoughts with contentment. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, Paul was giving instruction to his son. We read it last week. I won't read it to you again. But Paul gives lots of instructions to his son in the faith, Timothy. And in the chapter, chapter 6... He deals with false teachers. And these false teachers, he said, um, they've forsaken what is true. In 1 Timothy 6, 5, he, uh, he says it, it, that these false teachers, they have perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself, he says. So you've got these false teachers that are going around to and telling people that if you are if you follow God, you'll have a lot of stuff. If you follow God, you're going to have gain. All your problems will go away. It sounds familiar, right? 
If you follow God, he'll take care of all your problems and you'll have lots of gain. And what Paul says, he says that they're supposing, their, their thought process is off. They think that gain is godliness. They think something that's false. And they say you'll have gain. They say that's godliness. But Paul says, turn the channel. From such withdraw thyself. And then he says in verse 6, godliness with contentment, that's great gain. And they're going to convince you that the more you have, the happier you're going to be. But really what you need to remember is that if you have godliness, you will have contentment and that's worth having. That is valuable. And then he clearly says in the, the verses 7 and 8, for we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. So did you know that contentment is a choice? You choose whether or not you will be content. You choose what you think will, be, will bring contentment into your life. And uh, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, he wrote, Until we learn contentment, we've not learned to be a Christian. You cannot claim to be a Christian, at least a Christian that is a mature, a mature Christian, if you do not have contentment in your life. Your contentment level reveals your maturity level, your godliness level. If you have godliness and you're mature enough to produce, that maturity will produce contentment. That's worth having, Paul says. And so we, we then look at Philippians chapter 4, and last week we read from this chapter, and and from a Roman prison, here we have Paul showing us what contentment looks like in the life of somebody who's dealing with a lot. Um, you know, a lot of people these days, they'll say, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot. Well, Paul really had. Paul really had been through a lot. He was writing these words chained to a Roman guard. And even from a Roman prison, he writes to the church and says, I choose to be content no matter what. Verse 10, he says, look at this, Philippians 4.10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein ye were also careful but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And Paul basically, remember uh, last week we talked about Epaphroditus, the pastor of the church at Philippi, had been with Paul in Rome and gotten very sick, sick unto death, the Bible says. And so uh, Epaphroditus then had carried this letter from the Apostle Paul back to the church at Philippi. And this church at Philippi had done so much to help take care of the Apostle Paul. They, they knew his issues, they knew his problems, they were sending care packages to him, they sent their own pastor to him to minister to him in his need. And this was a caring church that loved the Apostle Paul. And he says, time, basically, time and time again, you've provided for me. You've cared for me. And he said, there was a time where you weren't able to care. He says, but now your care has flourished for me again. And he says, not that I, I look back at those times where you weren't able to help me. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. It's not like I look back on those days and I was just sad and I was discontent. That's not it at all. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
And that whatsoever is, it means literally whatever. It means this or that or which. It, uh, it doesn't matter. Whatever state I have learned, I have been to the school of hard knocks. I have learned, I've been educated. I have learned what it means to be content. You know what that tells us? It means that contentment is not natural. Because here's the Apostle Paul, and he's had to learn contentment. He's had to learn to be educated, to take steps to become content. He's had to figure it out. You know, and sometimes we give our young people a hard time or our kids a hard time when things don't go their way and, and they're complaining about things. Well, no wonder they're complaining. It takes years to learn to be content. You know, that doesn't mean that we let them be discontent because if we just let them be discontent, guess what they're going to be? Discontent. But we have to teach them how, how to be content. That it's a choice that you make. And he says, I haven't learned, I've learned whatsoever state, any state. He says, I, on, on a mountain, I've learned to be content. In a valley, I've learned to be content. In a prison, I've learned to be content. In a shipwreck, I have learned to be content. Preaching to thousands, chained to one, I've been content. And I've, I've just learned to be content. He says in verse 12, I know how to both, both how to be abased, which means brought low, and I know how to abound, which means to uh, be brought high or overabundance. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, he's saying, I don't have to have every circumstance to be exactly like I want it to be content. It doesn't all have to be right. I mean, you know, the fans in the sanctuary don't have to be on for me to be content. Some of you are, I, I mean, I know it may be a little bit warm, you know, but it doesn't have to be. They don't have to be. It could be hot in here tonight. And if we have Christ, we have enough. Okay, I'm just start using that. Okay. <laughs> for those of you under your parka and in your electric blanket, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We have Jesus. That's all we need. You know, I, we, we, can be, we can become spoiled as Christians. And we can think that everything has to be exactly the way that we want it. And that we have to have things exactly the way that we like it for, it, for us to be content. We have to learn, like Paul, it doesn't matter the situation, it doesn't matter the circumstances, that we can be content. We have sufficiency in somebody named Jesus Christ. He says in verse 13, the context of this verse gets taken out a lot, out of context. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And what he's saying is, no matter how hard the circumstance, it doesn't matter what I'm facing, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So listen, that's not just a blank check. That verse out of context makes people think, Yo, well, you know, uh, I can do whatever I put my mind to. Well, that's not necessarily context. The context is, no matter how hard your circumstances, no matter how tough you have it, no matter how dire your situation looks, if you have Jesus, you have enough. That's the idea. He goes on, down to verse 19, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I think if I was to sum up this message from Paul in Philippians 4, I would say, if I have Jesus, I have enough. If I have Jesus Christ, that is enough. That's the essence of contentment. So the definition of the word content 
um, there in, in verse, in verse uh, 10 or uh, verse 11 and verse, uh, no, verse 11, okay? So the, the end of verse 11, he says, therewith to be content. And the Greek word is otarkes, which the Stoics would have used that word in that day as a secular term. And they would have said, the Stoics would have said, um, I have everything that I need. They were, they were very into minimalist living. They would have said, I don't need all the abundance. I don't need all the gadgets and all the newest stuff. I have everything that I need. I'm satisfied in myself. I can do fine without you. I don't need you or anything you have to offer. So that word actually would have been more of a secular Greek word in this day. And so Paul takes it and in many ways he Christianizes this word and he applies it to Jesus Christ. They would have known that it means that these are, there are those out there saying, I don't need you. I don't need anybody. I have everything that I need. I don't need any help from anybody. And Paul uses that word to say, no, I'm satisfied with things as they are because I have Christ and I need nothing else. That's the idea. Thomas Watson, again, that Puritan wrote, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I'm going to read it again. That was a mouthful. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Simply put, contentment means I am satisfied with things as they are because Christ is enough for me. It's the opposite of unbelief. Instead of thinking God isn't enough for me, God hasn't done enough for me, I need something more. We must learn to think, no, God is what he said he is. He will always be what he said he is. And that's all that I need. Christian contentment is distinct in that it's not a passive resignation. You know what I mean by that? When someone's resigned to something, you know, when somebody's just resigned to it, I... You know, when my, my brother was little and I, I'm eight years older, seven and a half, eight years older than him. And when we were little, we would wrestle around um, when, he was, when he was little. Um, he had no hope, okay? Now he could probably beat me. Don't let him know I said that. Now he could probably take me in wrestling. But when he was little, he had no hope. We'd wrestle around and I would just hold him. And he would, he would wiggle around like a little, I don't know, like a little something. He would wiggle around and... And squirm and, and just would fight and fight and fight. And after a while I would hold him still long enough that he would finally give up. He would resign. He was just resigned to it. Now, does that mean he was happy about it? No. You don't like to get beat by your brother in anything. He wasn't happy, but he was resigned to it. And listen, Christian contentment is not res resignation. See, I wanted this to happen, but it didn't. I guess I'll just be content. Almost as if to say, I wanted that car, somebody else bought it. I guess I'll have to settle for Jesus. You say, wow, that's, that hits home. Well, it's true. 
You know, I, I wanted this to happen. It didn't. I guess the consolation prize is eternity with Jesus. If you really stop and consider what you're saying, when you are discontent with your position in life, then you are saying that I needed something more than Christ. God didn't give it to me, so I just have to settle for this. Listen, contentment is not Eeyore. My life is so hard. Things are so bad. This is so hard, but bless God, I'm content. No, content is being a student, not a victim. Paul was content, not in a victim-y kind of way. He, he wasn't letting everyone know how hard he had it. He said, I've learned to be content. I deliberately choose to learn this trait. It's not natural, but I'm going to do it in a way that brings glory to God, not in a way that brings attention to how hard things are for me. And I know the circumstances, I know they can be difficult, and I know some of you face extreme difficulty, and I am in no way minimizing those things. But if the focus is on, is on how hard we have it, that is not Christian contentment. Paul was singing praises in the, in the jail, in the prison at midnight, not posting selfies and shackles. Hashtag persecution. You know, he was, he, he was not glorifying how hard he had it. And we have to be careful because sometimes we can, and listen, there are times when you just need to talk to somebody and you need a friend to listen to you. That's healthy. It's helpful. But if people think, oh no, here it comes, when they see you coming, you've got to be mindful of that. Because frankly, there are people in this room that could always have something to complain about. And I, and I mean that legitimately. There, you have things you could always say are not going well for you. And I wouldn't want to be in that position. And I'm thankful that I'm not. I, I pray for you and lift you up. But you're the one that has to be careful not to be a victim in every circumstance. You have to choose to be content. You have to say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be contentment. Christian contentment says, I can let this rest because I don't need anything else in life. I have a firm trust in my Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't need my circumstances to change to be content. I don't need a new relationship to be content. I don't need my spouse to change to be content. I don't need this health issue to go away to be content. I can rest if nothing changes because I have a God that is more than enough for me. Paul said I can learn how to be abased and abound because Christ will strengthen me. Listen, you don't talk yourself into this frame of mind with human logic. You submit yourself into this frame of mind by affirming divine truth. And this may require some good faith-filled self-talk. Now, you, if you talk to yourself too much, people might start to wonder. But I do believe there is healthy self-talk and helpful self-talk. 
And if you need to get alone and just remind yourself of all that God is for you, let that be your motivation. Let that be your resolve. That's okay. You know, if people uh, can wear masks in their cars when they're by themselves, we, surely the rest of us can talk to ourselves while we're driving down the road. And if you talk to yourself too much, wear the mask so they won't see that you're talking to yourself. That's fine. Contentment's not passive resignation. It is us choosing on a deliberate level to focus on truth. Not to focus on how hard it is. Contentment is also not a personality thing, by the way. See, some, kids, some people are naturally easygoing. They're chill, as the kids say. Sometimes we attribute contentment to a personality type. And, but I know many lost people that are easygoing. It doesn't mean they have contentment because they're resting in Jesus Christ being enough for them. That doesn't mean they're content. And, see, a passive personality doesn't prove contentment. A passive personality may not, even, may not get too bothered if something gets too hard in life. But they also may not get too bothered by sin and unrighteousness. It's not a personality trait. Contentment is not a matter of how you're naturally wired. This is faith in a truth that Jesus Christ is enough for me. Thomas Watson also wrote, he, that he is not a contented man who is so upon an occasion. And perhaps when he's pleased, but who is so constantly when it is the habit and complexion of his soul. So my question to you tonight would be, how, how consistently are you content? If you are content when things are great, that's not Christian contentment. If you're content one day and things are great and the next day they, they're still great but you're for some reason not content, that's not Christian contentment. It, Christian contentment is a consistent frame of mind. As Watson said, it's a complexion of the soul. Contentment does not appear only now and then as some stars which are seen, but seldom. It is a settled temper of the heart. Christian, that is what we ought to strive for. We want the Lord to be so thoroughly producing fruit in us that contentment is always there. Now listen, I know there are days you don't wake up on the right side of the bed. And maybe you never wake up on the right side of the bed. But your mood is not what determines your contentment level. And if you're up and down and people don't know the person they're going to meet when they see you next, then you're not exhibiting Christian contentment. That's one of the definitions of, of, of contentment. is um, uh, It means independent of external circumstances. Like Paul in prison or Paul in a palace, his demeanor, I believe, would have been the same at all times because it comes from within. It's like a fountain springing up within us. And if things are good or things are bad, weary days or golden days, it doesn't matter. Contentment affects us in all of them. This is about a doctrine called the sufficiency of God. See, sufficiency of God says this, that, it is that God is more than enough. And someone said it this way, it's inconceivable to a thoughtful and surrendered Christian that he should ever lack anything for his, presence, uh, for his present happiness. It is inconceivable, they say. In other words, you always have what you need to be happy. Oh, say, but I'm glad, Always. You know why? Because of Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I what? I shall not want. Know what he means? I shall not like anything or need anything. In other words, what that psalmist, what David was saying was that if I have the shepherd, I have everything I need for my present happiness. Discontentment is a major indictment on a child of God. It means we've abandoned a biblical view of God. If we've lost sight of his sufficiency, then we are wanting. And we're saying, if only, and, and I, I should be, and I don't like. That's the idea of wanting, is that we always need something more. Discontent means we've abandoned also a biblical response to God. Because our, our, our response to a sufficient God should be surrender. If we believe that he's enough, there's nothing we won't be willing to do for him, or go through for him, or be willing to give for him. Don't allow tough circumstances to cause you to abandon a biblical view and response to God. If you believe that God is enough, if you believe Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, then you have to believe in every moment, in every circumstance, no matter what you're facing. If you have the shepherd, you have enough. Turn over to Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The enemy of contentment is covetousness. The enemy of contentment is when we covet, when we want something beyond what we have. He says, let your, Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation, your life, your lifestyle, your behavior, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because I always have the shepherd. Well, you know, that truth is still the same. We always have the shepherd. He said, let your, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And what do you have? He says, be content with such things as you have. Well, what do you have? Well, you always have the shepherd. You always have Jesus Christ. He will always be present with you. And when you realize that, then you can say, I don't have to be covetous of something I don't have. I have everything I need right here. Uh, the sufficiency of God helps us to not be covetous. And when we're covetous, what we say is, who God is does not satisfy me. God is not enough for me. What he has supplied is not enough, and I must have something more. And I just want to point out that that is a very satanic viewpoint of life because Lucifer was in heaven saying I need something more and he fell because of it you know how Adam and Eve fell I need something more you know how the children of Israel in the wilderness fell over and over again we need something more you know how churches fail we're not content with such things as we have. We need something more. You know how marriages fail? I'm not content with the spouse that I have. I need something more. 
Covetousness is a mark of Satan. He embraced it, and, and now this is hard. Listen, he embraced it, and it cost him everything. And when we embrace the spirit of covetousness, we are embracing the spirit of Satan himself, and it will cost us too. We think, well, God isn't enough. He hasn't done enough for me. I need something more. That is the root of covetousness, and it is unbelief. It still goes right back to unbelief. So how do you combat that? How do you fight this? Uh, the way to combat unbelief and covetousness is what we believe about God. In this case, you know what, what the writer says that we have to do if we are feeling covetousness? We have to stop thinking about what we don't have and think about who we do have, who's always with us. He said what? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what you need when you have a strong sense of covetousness? You need a good dose of truth. Because a strong sense of covetousness is constantly making you think, well, here's what I don't have, here's what I don't have. And you need to go to the word and a verse like Hebrews 13, it says, okay, but here's what I do have. Here's who I do have. I do have a savior. I do have a shepherd. I do have somebody that's with me at all times, no matter what. He will never leave me or forsake me and will never need anything more because God is always present. You can be content with that. If God is not enough to satisfy you, friend, nothing will satisfy you. Think about this. If the infinite God can't satisfy our souls, then nothing he created will satisfy our souls. So that car, if you can't be content in your creator, that car is not going to help you. And if you can't be content in your creator, that new house won't help you. And if you can't be content in your creator, then a different appearance won't help you. New friends won't help you. If your creator won't help you or can't help you or satisfy you, nothing can. We must learn to walk through the store and think, I don't need that. We've got to learn to hear about a Christian brother or sister that God blesses and not think, well, I, I mean, I've been doing right too. We have to learn to be content with our relationship with Christ, even if it means we remain single. We must learn how to scroll through social media and not think, well, they have it so good, or I wish I looked like that, or I wish my husband doted on me like that. I wish I was that happy. Let me just remind you of this verse in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, and you've heard it. Let's, let's turn there and read it. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, these are powerful verses. It's a powerful truth. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You know what he's saying? He's saying there are a lot of people out there. And if, you're, if, you, have a, if you have an earthly view or a secular view of things, you're going to think that the rich man 
and the smart man and the mighty man that they have everything they need to be satisfied. And you're going to look at them and you're going to say, well, if I had what they have, I could be satisfied too. But what God says through Jeremiah here is, he says, you don't need all of that to be satisfied. The, what you need to be satisfied, the one that is satisfied is the one that understandeth and knoweth me. And not just um, knoweth the idea of me, but knoweth truth about me. And the truth about me is that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. I am the Lord of judgment. I am the Lord of righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So what, is the, what do these verses say that you need to be satisfied? It's not about your, your smarts. It's not about your strength. It is not about your, your power and what you know and what you've got in your bank account. It, it, your, your glory is in whether or not you understand and know the God of heaven. And you might say, I'll never be intelligent. I'll never be rich. I'll never be mighty. But I can know God. That's something worth living for. That's gain. I don't have to be the smartest or strongest to have everything I need. And you could replace, in these verses, you could replace smartest or strongest with whatever you want. You could say this, okay, I don't need a different job to be happy then. I mean, he's just using examples, you know, riches or, or wisdom or strength. But you could replace it with whatever you, you deal with. I don't have to have the new job to be happy. Because if I can understand and know the Lord, that's all I need. I don't have to have a better savings account. Because if I understand and know the Lord, that's all I need. I don't have to be healthier um, before I can be content. In other words, God doesn't have to remove this thing from me. Um, like the Apostle Paul was asking for. If, I don't have, if that never gets removed, I can still be content because of all things, I can still understand and know God. I don't have to be skinny before I can become content. I don't have to have more friends to be fulfilled. Because if I know and understand God, that's the greatest friend I'll ever have. I must learn that in whatsoever state I am, that contentment is possible because God is enough for me. And it's not wrong to pray that some things change. But it is wrong to allow your contentment to be determined by those things changing. And I'm going to say that again because it's important. It's not wrong to pray that some things change. But it is wrong to allow your contentment to be determined by those things changing. It's not wrong to save more money. But if you think that's going to make you content, you're wrong. And it's not wrong to lose some weight. It's not wrong to get in shape. It's not wrong to improve your house. It's not wrong to upgrade your car. But if you think for a minute that your contentment level will be uh, uh, connected to those things changing, then you are wrong. Your problems may not ever get fixed. This is so encouraging. Your problems may not ever get fixed. They may actually get worse but you can learn to be abased and abound because it is Christ who strengthens us. And if that's not enough to satisfy you, nothing will ever be enough for you. You know, last week I used Easter 2020 as the illustration. By the way, we prayed in church last week that the weather would cooperate. 
So thank you for praying. <laughs> we had a blizzard on Easter Sunday 2020. And, and last week the forecast said we could get snow on Sunday, Easter Sunday. And I admitted last week that it, I was struggling with my attitude. Well, guess what? It did snow, but not enough to stick. And it may have kept a few away, but we still had a number of guests in our services. And I, when I left my office between Sunday school and, and the main service, I was walking back and I looked outside and snow was coming down. And it was like the Lord was just right in that moment rebuking me because snow is falling in the background, but there's this family, all these people that I have never seen. They were first timers walking in the door in spite of the snow. And I just ducked my head and walked back in my office like I am oh man of little faith in the end it didn't affect us like my discontent heart thought it would here's the lesson often we become discontent about things that never even happen and we imagine the what ifs and if onlys when we have no control over them and it bothers our contentment level and that may never happen why worry when you can't control it anyway Here's what you can control. You can control your response to difficulty. And in those darkest of times, focus on what you know. God is good. He loves me. He's all I need. And I have all I need in an all-sufficient Savior. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So don't worry about what you can, can't change. Focus on who can change it. And as you focus on who can change it, you'll probably eventually forget on what you even wanted him to change. Because when you start to know and understand a God like we have, circumstances kind of fade to the background. You have enough in Christ to be content, no matter how high or how low life gets. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Christ is sufficient, and he is enough for me. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.